May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this summer, we have been preaching through the Ten Commandments. And they're listed here behind me. But for those of you that can't read them, just a quick review. Very first one is, you shall have no other gods before me. You will make no idols. You will honor God's name. You'll keep the Sabbath. You will honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. And you shall not bear false witness, as we heard last week. And today we come to the Tenth Commandment. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, his wife, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Now, if you're following along in the scripture, you'll know that it says something about an ox and a donkey, but we're living here in the 21st century, so we'll just say, thou shalt not covet anything that is your neighbor's. And each week, as we've been talking about these commandments, we've been highlighting a biblical character. And this week, we are going to talk about Sarai, or Sarah, Abraham's wife. Sarai means my princess. And this is the name that she went by for almost 95, 98 years of her life when God changed it to Sarah, which means simply princess. Now usually uh, when we're looking at the story of, of Sarah, we, we find it in Genesis, um, chapters 11, 29 through 23, 20. Uh, usually when we're looking at her story, we're listening really to Abraham's story. And we're listening to the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant that was given by God to the people that were being called out on this wonderful journey before them. And somehow, over the years, in the telling and the retelling, Sarah gets overlooked. She, she's a secondary figure if she's mentioned at all. So I, I just want to tell you a little story as we begin here. And no, it's not about North Dakota. I grew up east of here, out on Cape Cod, little church in East Dam by the side of the road. If you've ever been there, maybe some of you have seen it. Um, but 30 years ago, I was preparing to leave for seminary. I was going down to Drew in Madison, New Jersey to begin my training in ministry. But before I went, I had one 
uh, one responsibility I had left to complete to take care of, and that was Vacation Bible School. We always had Vacation Bible School the last week of summer, and we had a lot of retired people in the congregation. That was the week that they had all their grandchildren, plus our own children from the congregation. So we would have 120 to 150 children. We never knew what we were going to get. But packed into our sanctuary, about the same size as this, we had a blast, particularly when it came to singing the songs. Any of you who have ever been at Vacation Bible School know that you're going to sing very lively songs. And the song that we sang that year was about Father Abraham. Now, maybe some of you know it. I learned yesterday that there are several different versions. So the version that we learned as we are learning these promises of God that were given to the patriarchs, and in particular, Abraham, went like this. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, left arm, right arm, left foot, right foot, <laughs> and on and on it went. <laughs> it gets confusing. This is the third time I've done that. <laughs> they sang it every day. They sang it every day, they had a wonderful time, and they'd always fall down into the pews laughing. Well, I have to tell you, amongst these children, we had one particular young lady. She was about five or six years old, and her name was Lindsay. And Lindsay was a very sweet child, and she could be a very precocious child. I think I need to tell you something else. How many of you saw the movie Apollo 13? You remember that Tom Hanks played Jim Lovell, the commander of the space crew, right? And the crew was Fred Hayes and Jim Swaggart, and, and Jim Swaggart was in charge of the lunar module. So they lifted off on April 11th, and um, liftoff went well, everything was successful. Uh, two nights later, they are out in space broadcasting a, a non-televised show back to Earth. They had been dropped by all the stations as space flight was becoming boring. So they broadcast the show to the center. And at the end of the broadcast, command control has one more job for them to do. And they ask Jim Swaggart to stir the oxygen tanks. And if you're watching the movie, you see the, the camera zoom in on the wires, and then the coils, and the tank. And then the next thing you see is this massive explosion and you hear the words, Houston, we have a problem. Well, Lindsay had a problem. This 
this cute little five-year-old with all her curls and precociousness had a problem. As we are singing Father Abraham, she shouts out at the top of her lungs, I am not a boy. She had brothers. She knew that sons meant boys. Bless her little heart. She recognized the dilemma of interpreting scripture from a strictly patriarchal perspective. Because that perspective omits the important role of women in scripture. Over time, their names have been lost, their stories have been lost, they have been lost. We need to lift up scriptural role models for little girls, like Madison. We need them to see the feminine face of God. Lindsay taught me a valuable lesson that day as I was preparing to go off and learn more lessons in seminary. That lesson I will never forget. You have to know who you're talking to. You have to know your congregation, who you're teaching, who you're preaching to. The next time that we sang that song, we added a verse. And it went like this. Mother Sarah had many daughters, many daughters had Mother Sarah. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. We had a lot of fun with it. <laughs> we have some problems in Scripture, with the Scripture this morning, particularly as we attempt to talk about Sarah in terms of these commandments, and in particular the Tenth Commandment. We need to understand that Sarah preceded Moses by seven to ten generations. Sarah was the wife and the sister by another mother to Abraham. And then there was Isaac, and then there was Jacob, and then there was Joseph. And then there's 430 years of, of slavery in Egypt before Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt and goes to Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. We're looking at a huge change here. Abraham and Sarah are being called out to begin a new community. A new faith community. You know, they were pioneers, and, and uh, we might consider them adventurers. Sarah was following her husband. But she was also a woman that was following her own soul. Sarah was the first prophetess of seven in the Old Testament. Sarah was living according to the customs that, that she had grown up in. 
in the matriarchal traditions. And it was those traditions that families could trace their lineage. It wasn't through the father, it was through the mother. And, and the mothers named the children, and, and there were more things too. But Sarah was doing the things that she knew, the way she had been raised. Even before Abraham is called by God, we now encounter the biggest problem. A reoccurring theme in the scriptures. Sarai, later Sarah, was barren. How do you build a new community when the matriarch is unable to bear children? You've got to be expecting a miracle. Like the song said, a miracle is coming. Now, I've read a lot about Sarah over the years, and I have a number of books that have pictures of her as artists have depicted her. And she's always pictured as an old woman, a crone, gnarled hands, wrinkled face, long gray hair, bent over. But I have come to believe over, the, over time that Sarah must have been a very beautiful woman, woman indeed. So let me just tell you a, a few things about her life to, to explain why. You see, Sarah was born in the city of Ur, and it was when she was 65 that she left that city to travel with Abraham and her father-in-law, excuse me, father, to go to Haran. And she was there until she was 75. At 75, she still did not have children, and yet Abraham never set her aside. Abraham kept her as his first wife, as his, as his only wife up to that point. And then about the time that they leave Haran, they're going down into Canaan, they encounter a famine in the land. And there they move on to Egypt. Does this sound familiar? It's a reoccurring theme. We're going to hear it 400 years later, or a few generations later anyway, that will result in 400 years. Well, after... Abraham and Sarah are established, they, they then return to Canaan. And on their way, Sarah gives Abraham his hand, her handmaiden, Hagar. And Ishmael is born. And yet still Abraham keeps Sarah the barren woman, the barren wife. And it's not until Sarah is 90 years old. Now, I'm not going to ask you if any of you are 90, <laughs> but can any of you imagine bearing a child at the age of 90? 
Sarah did. Yes, God performs miracles. <laughs> Abraham never set her aside. Now twice, Abraham said to Sarah, if we get into a difficult situation, when we're in Egypt or when we're roaming in the land, tell people you are my sister. Now that wasn't completely false, but it wasn't completely true either. Abraham knew that her beauty would attract powerful men. And in fact, it did. The first time with Pharaoh. Pharaoh saw her and took her to be his wife. And yet, Pharaoh was warned. And Pharaoh was able, after a series of plagues, <laughs> to return her to Abraham. Later, it was King Abimelech that you heard Pastor Stan mention a few weeks ago. He took Sarah, and he too was warned to return Sarah to her husband, and so he did. From the beginning, Sarah was faithful. Sarah did as her husband asked her to, her brother by another mother. And I mention that, and I mention that twice, because there was nothing to be ashamed of in that time. It was part of the matriarchal tradition. You did what you needed to do for the clan or the tribe to survive. She, in all that time, was protected by God. Her honor was restored to her. Her honor preserved, her integrity was preserved by God. God, excuse me, Sarah was doing nothing wrong. The other thing we know about Sarah is that she was faithful. In Hebrews 11.11, it says, By faith, Sarah herself, though barren, received power to conceive, even when she was too old, because she considered him faithful who had promised. She remained faithful to God in all the promises. Sarah was not wrong to believe in those promises. And I don't believe that she was coveting a child when she knew the promise had been given to Abraham. God had said, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. She was his wife. It was logical for her to expect that she would become the mother of his child, the mother of nations, as indeed she did. She became the mother of Isaac. If there's anything to be said concerning Sarah, Maybe it's that she was growing impatient, waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. Anybody ever wait that, you know, for a promise to be fulfilled? You can grow impatient. I know, you know, she was 77. I would be too. I would be very impatient. But as I said, she gave Hagar 
her Egyptian handmaid, to be Abraham's second wife. The word is Isha in both cases in Hebrew. Equal status. And when Hagar conceived, it changed everything. The relationship between Hagar and Sarah became horribly contentious. Hagar was trying to usurp Sarah's place when she mocked her, when she tried to humiliate her, when she looked with contempt upon her mistress in, in the public eye. The Hebrew word for laugh in, in these scriptures means to mock or to jest at. Sarah, in her shame of her barrenness, struggled to retain her identity. To, she struggled to prevent Hagar from, from taking over and, and from herself being humiliated. Yes, she was harsh with Hagar. But whatever we say about Sarah, we can't say she was covetous. So we need to look at what this 10th commandment means. And you got a little clue earlier. <laughs> Coveting means the excessive desire for something that belongs to someone else. Whether it's a house, a wife, a husband, money, car, boat, job, you name it. If you feel that little bit of jealousy, that little bit of coveting beginning, walk away. Just walk away. Save yourself all the anxiety. Save yourself all the troubles. You know, coveting affects the rich and the poor. It's an equal opportunity sin. Coveting begins in the heart and it moves outward. And it's the beginning, I believe, of all sin. It's the capstone of all these commandments. Coveting what is not ours can and often does lead to dishonor, leads to theft, leads to murder and lies and deceit and adultery, or putting God after possessions or illicit relationships. We cannot desire anything in place of a loving God. Jesus, the Sermon of the Mount, said, we can't serve God and mammon. Placing anything or anything before God separates us from truly being able to worship our loving God. And I, I just want to point out one thing. That loving God, love is not passive. Love is active. God is surrounding us daily. You know, when God called out to Abraham, he said, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And later at Moriah, after Isaac was to be sacrificed. The angel of the Lord came to him and said, I will indeed bless you. 
I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as the sands that is on the seashore. How many of you have gone out this month to look at the stars? Haven't been too many clear nights, but there's been a few. You look up, and that Milky Way is up there. Have you tried to count the stars? They're just too numerous. Or you go to the seashore. You walk along the beach. Have you ever tried to count the grains of sand? It's impossible. It's too numerous. That's the number of blessings that God has in store for us. You know that song, 10,000? You know, 10,000 reasons? It should be a million or a billion. So how do we avoid coveting? I think about this commandment as a gift to each one of us. Because we can choose to be envious, we can choose to be jealous, and we can let that eat us alive. And I've been there. <laughs> I know what that feels like. You know, so we need to do something different. We can choose that or we can choose to be content. Content with what we have. You know, we woke up this morning. We have a beautiful day in front of us. You know, we're going to have a, a luncheon afterwards for outreach. You know, when you leave church today, you can go walk on the beach. You know, we have so many blessings. As we were setting up for the lawn chair church this morning, Doug pointed out a bird that had landed on a, one of the posts out there. It's a beautiful white-tailed hawk. And we had the opportunity to watch it for a moment, just sitting there preening itself before it hopped on to the next post and ultimately flew away. But praise God for all the diversity of life all around us and with us. We count our blessings. God has given us so much. You know, if a neighbor has a new boat or maybe a new vacation home or whatever it is, let's congratulate them and then move on. You know, we have the opportunity to, to grow in so many ways. We, we can be generous, generous of spirit. We, we can expand our faith by getting together with fellow Christians. We don't need to live in the world, or we need to live in it, but just not adapting all their cultural values. We, we're Christians. We, we live as Christians, and, and, and we value what God gives us, each, each breath we breathe. You know, and it's not a works righteousness thing. You know, it, it, it's, we don't, praise God because God is going to give us something. We praise God because we love God. It's an active value, an active participation on our part. You know, my, my go-to verse over the years has become a verse from, two verses from Psalms. 
says, delight yourself in God, and God will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to Adonai, and he will act. Desire is not a bad thing. We can want things, but we need to work for them ourselves, plan for them ourselves, save. We teach our children to do the same things. We wish others well on their good fortune, and we move on. We don't want to become excessive in our desire. You, we, together, have a God who so loves us unconditionally and who by grace gave us a Savior whose life and death has given us freedom, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, freedom from all those feelings that come when we, on occasion, may break these commandments. You know, God is forgiving. And what we need to remember, finally, is that what the Israelites learned as they walked by faith took years for them to get right. It took them years, almost 500. When God called Moses to Sinai, God simply codified, put into a systematic code, the Ten Commandments. And that code we have been given as a gift. It's not to restrict us, not to make us feel guilty, but given, I believe, to find fullness in life, loving God and loving our neighbors. With our hearts and our minds aligned to God, focused on God, aligned with his promises, God will never leave us. God is by our side, going before us, behind us, above us and below us. And God is not only always ready to hear us, but is willing and waiting to hear us pray and then to bless us. Amen.